Thanks so much for being here. It's great to see you guys. Welcome to Alpine Church. Uh, if you're here for the first time, thanks for checking us out. We hope you feel right at home. Uh, my name is John Bellis. I'm the lead pastor here at Alpine Logan, and I'm really excited to be with you guys today. We're at about the halfway point in this series that we've been doing on the Shema. So we're, we're three weeks into a six-week series. I hope it's been challenging for you guys so far. I hope it's been encouraging. Maybe most of all, I hope it's been a launching point for good conversations during the week. I hope that you've been taking the sermons with you. That's truly our hope here, that we wouldn't just leave this here on a Sunday, but that we'd have conversations with our family, with our friends, with our small group, with our mentors, so that what we talk about on Sunday would actually impact the way we live life Monday through Saturday. So if you're here for the first time, or maybe you've just missed the last couple of weeks, let me kind of quickly catch you up on where we've been up to this point. Uh, so we have been studying the Shema. You'll find the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's sort of a, a prayer of allegiance that the Israelites said twice a day, once in the morning and once in the evening. It's something that, that every Israelite would have, would have known by heart. They would have had it memorized. Uh, it was a very important part of their culture. It was given to the nation of Israel by Moses right as they were preparing to enter the promised land. That's when we see Deuteronomy 6 take place. And what we've been doing in this series is we're doing a Hebrew word study where we're breaking down six of the key words that are found in the Shema. And today we're going to be looking at love. Ooh, can you back me up, Laurel? I went way too far. There we go. So we're going to go ahead and just review this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. So that is the Shema. Now those six words that you see there in different colors are the words that we're going to break down as we go through the series. And the first one that we kicked off with in week one was this word, listen, which the original Hebrew word for that is Shema. That's how the Shema got its name. And what we learned in week one is that Shema doesn't mean to just hear something. But it means to really listen, to listen attentively, to pay close attention to. Then we also learned that there's not a separate Hebrew word for the word obey. And so in this word, Shema not only incorporates listening attentively, but it talks about acting on and obeying what we have heard and what was said. And so my hope is that all of us today will Shema as we dig into God's word and see what he has for us. Then last week we looked at the word Lord or Yahweh. And that word Lord, when you see it in the Bible, when it's referring to Yahweh specifically, will have all caps, all capital letters there for Lord. And when we talked about Yahweh, we talked about how God identified himself with that name as the God who eternally is. He is the only uncreated being. That name Yahweh, which literally means he will be who he will be, signifies that God exists independently from anything else. He has no beginning and no end. He is the first and the last, the alpha and the omega. Now today we're going to focus on the third word that's highlighted, and that's the word love, or in Hebrew, ahava. Now as we've been digging into these words over the last few weeks, it's caused me to think about words that we overuse in the English language, and I'm sure different people overuse different words. I, I know for me, I've noticed that I overuse the word awesome. Like this, this week that I wrote this message, I probably said awesome 20 times. Now, if you say awesome 20 times in a week, you either live the most amazing life ever or you're probably overusing the word. And I, I definitely overuse the word. 
I remember there was a stage that my sons went through where the word they overused was lit. For a while, everything was lit. Like, Dad, that party was lit. That video game is lit. Or that fishing trip you took us on, that was lit. And I remember the first time I heard them say it, it was my oldest son, and it was after a basketball game, and they had gone out, and, and they were hanging out with a bunch of their buddies on the team, and they had won, and the wins were few and far between when he played basketball. So they were, they were celebrating it, and he came home, and he's like, yeah, we, we were having a good time, and, and man, we were just all lit. And I was like, what? Did you just tell me you went to a party and got lit? Because when I was a teenager, that had a different meaning than evidently what it means to now, Right? So, but, but I think love is one of those words that we probably use too often. It's probably become too common in our culture. I mean, think about it. It's not uncommon in our culture to hear someone say they love a certain type of food. You know, my, my daughter Hannah will tell you that she loves Arby's. Or have you had someone ever come up to you and say, oh man, you have to see that movie. You're going to love it. Or, or listen to this song. I think you'll love it. We all say that we love our favorite sports teams or that we love our favorite hobby. You know, I enjoy being out in the mountains and I've caught myself saying all the time, I love being in the outdoors. But so much of our talk regarding love and our culture centers around the way something makes us feel. It centers around the emotions that we have over something. And so to many of us, love is a passion for a person or a thing. It's a word we use to describe what makes us feel good. It's a word that we tie to affections and emotions that we have. The problem is when we describe love in this way, it turns it into an emotion that can be turned on and off. And it can be so fleeting because it can be manipulated by circumstances and by feelings. But the word love or ahava in Hebrew is very different from the word love in our culture today. Because in Hebrew, love isn't just a feeling or an emotion. In fact, it's tied very closely to action and to obedience. In fact, the root of the word ahava is hav in Hebrew, and it literally means to give. So ahava is to give of one's self. So you see, there's something very fundamental that, that giving is a basic part of loving I think it's interesting that this description of love is so different than what we normally think about when we say love in our culture. You know, one of the things I always try to communicate to the bride and groom when I officiate a wedding is that love is a choice. And the kind of love that will help your marriage go the distance is the kind of love you choose to give even when it's not easy. Even when the level of romance fades a little bit. Or when communication hasn't been good or when someone's been wounded. When we choose to still love our spouse, that's when we choose this ahava-type love, this love that acts, this love that gives. And so as we unpack this word, I think we're going to discover a richness and a depth that we typically lack in the generic way that we use the word love in our culture. And so I want to bring us to our first point, and that is that God is love, and He created us in His image so that we can love. You know, last week as we unpacked the word Yahweh, we talked about how He alone is the one true God, that He alone is eternal, that He alone is uncreated. And we, when we look deeply at the nature and attributes of God, we see that not only is He all-knowing, not only is He all-powerful, not only is He supreme, but we see that God is love. Like 1 John 4, 8 tells us, God is love. So it's not just that God does love, but God is love. 
It isn't something that he turns off and on. It isn't something that he does part-time. In fact, you can't separate love from God's character. It's a very central part of his being. And throughout the Bible, God shows us what genuine love looks like. It's on display through all of Scripture from the very beginning pages to the very end pages of the Bible. We see God show us what genuine love looks like. So whether it's creating this garden of paradise and putting man in it, or whether it's establishing a covenant relationship with his people, or his patience and grace and forgiveness that he has, or the fact that he established a way for broken people like us to have a relationship with him, in all of these ways, God demonstrates love. And it's important to understand that God didn't demonstrate his love for the Israelites because they earned it. They talk about that briefly on the video. There was nothing the Israelites did to earn or deserve God's love. God's love for them and God's love for us originates out of his character, not out of our character. See, by the time Jesus came along and ministered here on earth, it seems that many of the Jewish religious elite had forgotten that. In their self-righteousness, they thought that they had somehow earned God's love or deserved God's love. But that's not why God loves. God genuinely loves and has affection for us because of His character. And because God is eternal and He is love, then His love is eternal. So I want you to think about that for just a second. Kind of let that sink in. God's love has no beginning or end. If God is eternal and He is love, then His love for you is eternal. God loves simply because He loves. God loves because He is love. The nation of Israel had to be reminded of that. This is from Jeremiah 31.3. It says, Long ago the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love I have drawn you to myself. Now, I'm sure at the time this was written, a lot of Israelites didn't think God still loved them. They were probably doubting God's love because they were going through a lot of tough times. But God reminded them through the words of the prophet that his love never ends and his love never fails. If we were to look back at the original language that's used here where it says, I have loved you, that refers to a love that's from antiquity to futurity, basically an everlasting love. And then it's repeated again, the very next phrase, with an everlasting love. So it's like God is saying, I have always loved you with an everlasting love, and I will always love you with an everlasting love. It's repeated for emphasis. The prophet wanted to make sure he drove the point home, because the nation of Israel at that time needed to know that God's love never ends. I think some of you are here today because God wants you to know his love for you never ends. He has always loved you with an everlasting love. He will always love you with an everlasting love. I love the fact that it says, with unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. I'm so thankful that God's love never fails. We we talk a lot here at Alpine that our mission is to help people pursue God, and, and it is, and that's important. But the only reason you and I can even pursue God is because He first pursued us. Because with this unfailing love, this verse talks about he has drawn us to himself. So when we talk about Ahava, this love that God has, God's love for us isn't just shown through affection and feeling. There's more to it than that. Again, Ahava also means to give. 
So God's ahava for us is not just a feeling that he has, it's an action. And, and because he's eternal, he eternally gives himself to others. Deuteronomy 4.37 says, Because he loved your ancestors, he chose to bless their descendants, and he personally brought you out of Egypt with a great display of power. So I want you to look at some of the action words that we see in this verse. It talks about he loved He chose, he blessed, he personally brought you out of Egypt with a great display of power. And think about all the actions God used to bring his people out of Egypt, right? I mean, he brought the plagues upon the Egyptians. He parted the Red Sea. He brought water out of the rock in the desert. He rained manna down from heaven. And when they grumbled about manna, he brought in flocks of quail, He led them with a pillar of fire at night and covered them with a cloud by day. So time and time again, God demonstrates his love through action. The Israelites could see it firsthand. Now, why is this important? Well, first we see that God is a loving God and he doesn't just talk about loving us. So we might say God doesn't just talk the talk, but he walks the walk. God follows through with action. The second thing is because God loves us, we can love too. See, in creation, God created a bunch of amazing things. But you are the crowning point of creation. The Bible says that you are his masterpiece. You know, during the creation story, at the end of every day, God said it was good. But when he created humans, he said it was very good. You and I are the only things that that God says are created in his image. Genesis 1.27 says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And since God is love and you and I are created in his image, we too can learn how to love like he does. Now, we'll never do it perfectly because we're fallen people. We won't love exactly like he does, but we can grow in that. We can learn to love more like him. And the reason that Israel was able to pray this prayer, this Shema, is because they knew that the eternal God deserved all of their love. And they could feel God's love for him. They could feel his affection, but also they had witnessed God's love in action time and time again. They knew the eternal God had created them in his image so that they too could love others. So you and I are, are able to love God and we're called to love God, not only because he is the one true God, but also because he has instilled us with his love. As part of being made in his image. So ultimately, we can love God because he first loved us. Now remember, this loving relationship that you and I have with God isn't just something that makes us feel good. It isn't just based on what we receive from him. Now that's certainly part of it. That's a great part of my relationship with God is is feeling his affection and, and the many gifts he's given me, but there's more to it than that. Remember, our love for God is more than a feeling. It's also demonstrated in action. So just like God ahavahs us with action, we should ahavah him with action. And that makes sense to us, right? I mean, we expect that in any other relationship, don't we? For those of you that are married, if if your spouse told you they loved you every day but never demonstrated love with any action, would you feel loved? Probably not. You know, I've been married 25 years and I can't really picture life not being married in a way. And in other ways, it feels like I just got married yesterday. It's, it's weird. 
I was in sales for 20 years before I went into ministry, and I say all the time the biggest deal I ever closed was getting Rhonda to say yes. <laughs> I married way out of my league. And there's still times when she walks in the room that my room just gets brighter, my heart beats a little faster. And if I told her every day that I loved her, but I didn't ever demonstrate that, right, if I, if I didn't help her with the dishes, if I didn't help her fold the laundry, if I didn't go on walks with her, if I didn't just sit and hear how her day went while I rubbed her feet, would she still feel loved? Probably not. And the reason it's easy for me to love her in action is because she has loved me in action time and time again over the last 25 years. See, love is more than a feeling, it's an action. I don't know, maybe some of you remember the old DC Talk song, if you're old like me, love is a verb. It's like back in the 80s. Okay, but that's, that's the essence of this word, ahava. It, it causes us to do something, it moves us somewhere, it's an action. Now, I'm not saying that love is all action and no feeling. Feelings are certainly an important part of love, and in fact, sometimes those feelings can motivate us to the action part. But it's not just simply based on feelings. It's both affection and action. That's how God loves us. He loves us with affection and action. And that's how he calls us to love him back with both affection and action. So when we read the Shema prayer, this call to love the Lord your God, it's calling us to not only show affection towards him, it's calling us to honor him, to love him with action, to love him by serving and obeying. We expand upon this a little bit more in Deuteronomy. Laurel, can you back it up? It went two. There we go. Deuteronomy 10, 12 and 13. It says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases Him and love Him and serve Him with all your heart and soul. And you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. So God was calling the Israelites to show them him their love through both devotion and obedience. And why did he call them to do this? I mean, certainly he deserves our obedience because he's God, but, but at the end he says, I'm giving you these today for your own good. See, remember, God is love. So since God is love, even his commands and decrees are from love. They're based on the love he has for us. They're for our own good. He wants things to go well for us. I think so often we think of God's rules and commands as restrictive when really they're protective. He wants the best for us. You know, for most Jewish people, the Shema is a very personal prayer that shows their dedication and devotion to God. It's a sign of an, of an intimate and dedicated, committed relationship. And I think the same goes for us. When we really seek to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength, it doesn't only manifest itself in the way that we love God and receive love from God, but I think God calls us to love others. I think God calls us to take that love we've received from Him and love other people in the same way. And, and I think Jesus made this very clear in the New Testament when He was interacting with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And these are guys who would have read the Shema or said the Shema every day. In fact, twice a day. They're very familiar with it. And they tried to trap him by asking him what was the most important commandment. And Jesus replied with the following. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. So basically he's reciting the Shema back to him. This is the first and greatest commandment. But then Jesus adds something else. He says, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. That would have been revolutionary for them. 
See, Jesus said, listen, you are right in your devotion for God. You should love God with all you have. But there's something else that's equally as important. You should love people. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's a, that's a phrase. If you grew up in the church, you've probably heard that all the time. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does that really mean? I want to think about some of the ways we love ourselves, right? I mean, we work pretty hard to provide for ourselves, to protect ourselves, to give ourselves conveniences and luxuries. And that's the way that God calls us to love our neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. What would that do to the culture that we have right now? What would that do to all the conflict and stuff we have going on in our country if we really loved people like we loved ourselves? If we really loved our neighbor like we loved ourselves, what would that do? Think of how attractive Christianity and Jesus would be if we acted like Jesus acted. If we loved like he loved. See, you and I can't go around saying that we love God and then not show love to others. We just can't do that. In fact, in uh, 1 John, the Apostle John says it this way in in 1 John 4.20. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? John says, if you say you love God but don't love people, specifically another believer in in this case, then you're a liar. That stings a little bit, right? That's a little hard to hear, but that's what Scripture says. And it's not just about loving your fellow believers. When Jesus was asked, well, who is my neighbor? Because as Jesus taught this, love your neighbor as yourself, someone challenged him and said, well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus went on to tell the story about the Good Samaritan. And so he told the Jews that that your neighbor, the people that you're supposed to love as you love yourself, is the people group that the Jews hated the most. That's who you're supposed to love like you love yourself. So are we really loving our neighbors as much as we love ourselves? And as I say that, who did God just put on your heart? Did God just bring conviction Did he bring someone to mind that you haven't loved like you love yourself? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a co-worker, a classmate, or a teammate. Maybe it is a fellow believer. Maybe it's someone who's far from God. Maybe it's someone who's on the opposite end of the political spectrum than you are. Whoever it is, I encourage you to love them like you love yourself. Ask God to remind you that you're created in his image And ask Him to empower you to love people like He loves people. So if our love for God is supposed to to be demonstrated in action, what are some practical ways that you and I can love God, that we can ahava Him? Well, I think here's several. I think one, we can have a reverent fear of God. I think we can praise Him for His mercy and His patience. We can thank Him for His forgiveness in our lives. We live our lives in a way that pleases Him. And how do we know what that is? By spending time in His Word. His Word will let us know how to live in a way that pleases Him. I think we need to love others. We treat people like we want to be treated, right? The stuff you heard in Sunday school. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We mentor our family and our friends. We tell people about Jesus. We demonstrate our love to others in action. We give of ourselves. Because the bottom line is if we say we love God but we don't love others, then we don't really love God. We might think we do, we might feel like we do, but in the sense of ahava, in the sense of loving God through action, if we don't love other people, we don't love God because our actions speak louder than our words. 
And when I think of actions speaking louder than words, I immediately think of how God demonstrated His love for us. Because God demonstrated His love for us in the most costly way. And I don't believe there's a better way to describe this than the way it's described in one of the most famous verses of the Bible. And Laurel, I'm not, it's not moving if you'll take me to John 3.16, thanks. This is a verse that we all probably are familiar with if we grew up going to church. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And so we see this connection here with, with loving and giving that we talked about at the beginning. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. This is how much God loves us and how much He was willing to give. You and I can never fathom the depth of that sacrifice for us. See, in the beginning, when God created us in His perfect image and created us to experience a perfect relationship with Him, we chose to go our own way. We chose to act on our own thoughts and opinions instead of on His. And that choice is called sin. That's a churchy word, but that's any time we choose to act on our opinions and desires instead of God's. And the Bible is very clear that all of us have done that, and we all know that we have, but Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. So there's this huge chasm between us and God because of sin, and a righteous and holy God would have every right to leave us there. He would have every right to pass judgment on disobedience, and the Bible says that that judgment is death. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. That's always spiritual death. Sometimes it's emotional death. Sometimes it's relational death. Sometimes it's financial death. Sometimes it's physical death. But sin always brings death. But God loves us or ahavas us so much that he didn't leave us there. That he made a way for us to have a relationship with him in spite of our rebellion. And he exchanged our death with the death of his only son. You see it in Romans 5, 8, it says, But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Jesus displayed His love for the Father and for us by willingly going to the cross, by willingly taking our place. And what I love about this verse is He didn't wait until we recognized our condition. He didn't wait until we cleaned up our act. He didn't wait until we came to Him begging for forgiveness. It says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in our wickedness, while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. That is Ahava. That is love. Now, it might be tempting to say, well, that was easy for Jesus to do because he was fully God. Well, Jesus is fully God, but Jesus was also fully human when he was here on this earth. So he had the same feelings and emotions that he had to struggle with that you and I struggle with. The Bible says that on the night before he died, he struggled with the decision to go to the cross. It wasn't easy. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he was praying to God, he was in such agony that he sweat drops of blood. And he was asking God to to, to remove this cup if there was any way that he could. And so imagine if Jesus' love was based on feeling. If Jesus' love was just based on feeling, he would have bailed at that point. He would have said, I don't love this. I don't feel like this. But that's not what Jesus did. If he would have done that, we'd have been doomed. But instead, Jesus resisted. He fought back his feelings. And even though he prayed three times to have the cup removed, he was more concerned in doing the will of the Father than he was in how he felt. True ahava is about giving. And that's exactly what Jesus did at the cross.
See, ahava love is not dependent upon feelings and emotions because we all know feelings and emotions are fickle. They change one day to the next. Again, feelings and emotions are part of love, but it's not what love is based on. Instead, we see that love is a choice more than it is a feeling and that love is displayed in action and in giving of oneself. I want you guys to do me a favor. I want to read the Shema just one more time. I want you to close your eyes as I read this. And if you've already placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to just make this your prayer this week. Just make this your prayer that you would follow through. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. See, the reason the nation of Israel could pray that prayer is because they knew God ahavad them. They not only felt His affection, they had seen His love demonstrated over and over and over again. And the reason you and I can pray that prayer is because we have seen God ahava us. We see it most clearly at the cross, although we probably, if we'd open our eyes, we see it hundreds of times day after day after day. We most clearly see it at the cross. We've seen Him give of Himself. And if you've never accepted that gift, I want you to know that God invites you today to respond. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you've never done that, I encourage you to do that today. Accept God's invitation. Accept this ahava that He has for you. And then ahava Him in return. For those of us who've already done that, my prayer is that we would ahava Him this week and those around us. Let's pray. God, sometimes thank you just seems like such, a, such an empty word to say, but, but that's really all we can do, Lord God, is lift up our gratitude, lift up our praise, lift up our wonder at you, this amazing, loving God that we serve. God, we thank you that your love is not just emotion, it's not just feeling, but that your love has been demonstrated to us in action time and time and time again, most notably, God, at the cross, where you gave of yourself to cover our sins. God, we thank you for that. Lord, I pray for anyone here today who has never put their faith in Jesus Christ, who's never accepted that gift that you offer. I God, I pray today might be the day that they would receive this love that you have for them, and they would love you in return. God, for those of us who've already done that, I pray that we would truly love you this week the way you've asked us to love you with both affection and action. We love you, God, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.